Amen. Happy Easter, everyone. How are we doing? It is great to see you. Hi, my name's Mark. If we've never met, welcome. Uh, it's good to have you. If you're wondering if I wear a suit every week, the answer is emphatically no. Uh, but um, certainly willing on a day like today uh, to get dressed up and celebrate with you. Uh, if you uh, are back after a long time away or here for the first time, uh, you're noticing that uh, we're passing plates. This is for the family that is a uh, part of our church called Baylife. You don't have to feel like you should give or anything like that. If you ever do, there's ways that that can happen online. Uh, but uh, please, uh, thanks for joining us and pass it on. Uh, love to be a part of a generous church, even as I'm talking about giving. Uh, this past week, we saw it manifested again, our generosity through almost 300 Easter baskets that we put together and were able to disperse through our community to the families in greater need. Uh, we had some folks drop some off down at... Uh, uh, an academy in Waimama, and just we made, we made some kids' days uh, uh, this past week, and so just so grateful to do that. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can use the QR codes in front of you. Take your phone, point it at it. Um, if you don't know how to do that, ask your grandchildren. Anyway, uh, I'm kidding. Um, uh, but you can also go to our website at baylife.org uh, and find out just, you know, just about anything that's going on. I want to let you know just one thing before I start preaching at you. Uh, we're going to meet again next Sunday. Uh, and uh, we, we would love to have you join us at that one, too, and, uh, and just uh, start a new series with us. Uh, we're going to talk about doubt and its place in this life that we uh, have in Christ, in faith in Christ. Doubt and faith, two sides of the same coin. Doubt is not a dirty word. Uh, questions are things that God wants us to, to have and sort through and by faith, uh, you know, uh, get through. And so we're going to look at some of the, the people in our scriptures and the doubts that they had. And uh, learn from them, even as we wrestle with the doubts that we face in our day. 9 o'clock, 1045, you can join us on Saturday night at 6. Would love to see you there. Even as I talk about this next series, I want to just kind of review where we've been in a series of messages that kind of culminates here on this Resurrection Sunday. Maybe you saw it on the signs as you drove in this morning. We've been talking about because he, specifically three things, the three seminal moments or events in the life of Jesus Christ, because he came because he died, and today we talk about because he lives. We took it all from a song that I grew up singing in church uh, called Because He Lives, and uh, its opening stanza gave us our first message a couple weeks ago. It says this, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. Jesus came. We call it Christmas. We celebrate it every December. Anybody been to one before Christmas? Every, okay. Uh, he, he put on flesh and dwelt among us, the scriptures tells us. Uh, the Son of God became man. The incarnation occurred. Uh, Tom, our executive pastor who was hanging out with us at the 1017, preached that message. And, and he uh, brought out the, the chief implication of Jesus' arrival here on earth. Jesus came, as we learn in the story of Zacchaeus, a wee little man. Uh, that uh, Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. The whole reason for Jesus uh, coming to earth was uh, his purpose in saving those who were lost in sin. The next stanza of that song, Because He Lived, reveals what we talked about last week, that Jesus died. It says in that stanza, he bled and died to buy my pardon. Uh, without going into a long dissertation on this, um, sin brought death to the world when Adam and Eve first chose it. 
Uh, not just a physical death, certainly that uh, comes for all of us, unfortunately, but, but a spiritual death, a more grave form of death occurred when sin entered uh, into our existence. It separated us from God. And we, as humans, are powerless in overcoming it. You can do all the good things that you want. You're still guilty. You're still wrapped in the sins that are your nature, that you have because of and in Adam. So a penalty A price has to be paid. A a ransom has to be given on our behalf. We can't give it, so God gave it for us. Through his son, he overcomes death, spiritual and physical. Uh, Through his sacrifice, uh, we can be set free. So Jesus came. Jesus died. I was watching uh, Tom preach that sermon. Uh, I've been out of town for a while. Uh, Uh, But in the last verse of Romans chapter 5, in that passage that he uh, spoke, it says this, For if, while we were enemies, um, uh, we were reconciled to God by the death of Son, the debt was paid, how much more, or much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be, say it with me, shall we be saved by his life? And so we arrive to today in our uh, teaching And in the song, uh, the stanza goes like this. Because he lives, an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Jesus rose from the grave. He is alive. Uh, I was in uh, Jerusalem just this past November. Went to the grave site that they think he was buried in. Uh, I'm here to report, still not there. He's alive. And and listen, him him coming certainly set the ball in motion. Him dying was required so that our sins could be forgiven. But if he doesn't rise from the grave, it's all for naught. In fact, let me submit this to you. If Jesus isn't alive, let's all go home right now. I'm wasting my time and your time if Jesus did not rise from the grave. If Jesus doesn't come back, God is a liar. Jesus was a liar. He called his shot. I'll go to Jerusalem. I'll die, and I'll come back in three days. And if he doesn't come back, this is a waste of our time. But it isn't because he did. He's alive. Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians. He said it this way to his friends there. He said, listen, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. In chapter 15, verse 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and your sins are still unforgiven. He finishes with this thought. He says in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. We're the biggest losers on the planet completely wasting our time because we believed a lie and we've uh, dedicated, many of us, life to a Savior who's no Savior at all. If he's only good for what we live in this life and he can't, because of his grace, because of his power, overcome death and give us new life, then let's just go home. But Paul, who used to be Saul, a persecutor of Christians, Uh, came to -to face-to-face with this arisen Jesus, and it changed him forever. And he gave his life to preaching and teaching and starting churches and writing the back half of your Bible, for the most part, and reporting the things that he knew to be true about Jesus. So if Jesus, listen, if Jesus isn't alive, let's go home, but since Jesus is alive, 
the resurrection deserves our attention. I know uh, for a lot of us in here, uh, this is maybe what has to happen before you get the ham. Right? Like if I'm going to be able to have dinner at mom's house, I got to show up here. Hopefully it'll only last an hour and I can maybe get some coffee after and, and off we go. Right? If I'm, uh, you know, uh, speaking your language, uh, glad you're here. Because what I'm talking about today deserves our attention. If there is a God and his son is Jesus and he came and he did die and he did rose, arise from the grave, he deserves our attention. So many fail to give him a moment's notice, let alone their lives. They hang out once a year in a service like this, glad to have you. But then they go back to denying his claims as the son of God, downgrading his person, dismissing him altogether. It's not worthy of my life. He's hardly worthy of a look. I'm describing you. I, I just want to let you know, you're, you're missing out on the greatest gift that's ever been given to the planet. Now, have you ever thrown away something of great value? Just because you weren't being careful? I was sorting through my father-in-law's uh, mail uh, just about a month ago, and uh, I was just kind of picking up the letters that he had already read, getting ready to throw them out, and, and uh, a piece of paper falls out of one of the letters. It was a check. It was a check for $1,600. That's not one of those checks you're just like, ah. And so I looked at it, and he'd gotten it from a, 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 an investment club that he'd been a part of where he used to live in Kentucky, and they had sent him his dividends, and he had just mistakenly you know, missed it as he was reading their letter, and he was about to throw it out. And I said, hey, Dad, Want to keep this? What is it? $1,600? Dad likes dollars. And so he was like, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Almost missed that. Yeah. And, and that's what happens so often when uh, folks come and hang out in a service like this or watch online like this. And they, I don't know, I'm just kind of in the background. I'm just the thing you got to get through to get to the ham. And, and you miss the greatest gift that's ever been given. You also miss the most important warning that's ever been issued. So many people come to church and they're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like listening to the, the safety instructions before a flight. Been on a flight lately? They don't even take their earmuffs off now anymore, or their earmuffs, ear pods, whatever, those things. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> can you give us our attention just so we can let you know some of the safety features of our aircraft? No. Why do people do that? I've heard it before. Did you come in here with that mindset? Heard this before. Do your best, monkey boy. Put on your suit and try to impress me. But I've heard it all before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know why you're, you know, the, the human condition comes to the, the message of Christ's resurrection that way? We just don't believe it's going to matter. Because none of these bad things that they're talking about are ever going to happen. That's how we are on the airplane. That's nah, not going to happen. So we don't listen. But I believe that one day everyone in here is going to stand before the God who made them and give an account for their life. He's going to ask you two questions. Did you know Jesus and put your faith in him? And then what would you do for him? And everything else that you thought was so important, so crucial, it's not going to matter. And you'll have sat in services like this over and over again and someone like me will have given you the good news, the warning and it's then that you'll say, like, mm, should have paid attention. I pray you pay attention today. 
Because the resurrection not only deserves our attention, it requires our response. If Jesus rose from the grave and he did, that was his move. Now it's our turn. Most nights at my house end with three games of aggravation between me and my uh, father-in-law, Byron. Uh, It's a board game that uh, his family has played uh, for generations, and uh, now I play it almost every day. Um, Anybody played a board game lately? Miss those. They're kind of fun. Put the screen down. Roll some dice. But uh, uh, it always happens that one of us has to, you know, get up. Okay, I have to get up and go do something, right? He just stays there. And he'll take his turn, and, 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 you know, I'll walk away, and I'll hear from the kitchen, it's your move. (laughs) Yeah, I know. The game's kind of halted until I come back and take my turn. And and here's what I want you to understand. In in your relationship with God, things are halted right now if if you haven't made your move. He's made his. He sent Jesus. He came. He died. Paid the price for your sins and mine. He rose from the grave proving that what he said was true, that he could be trusted, and that he should be followed. That was his move. Now it's yours. So let me pop the cork on this. We're going to do something a little different here at Bay Life Church. Some of you have never been for us. It's not going to be different for you at all, but for people who've hung out, um, we don't typically uh, take time in our service for people to respond. That's happening today. I'm going to preach in view of your response. I prayed about it. And I'll I'll let you know, I wrestled with it. Because I'm just like you. I've got self-esteem issues, right? And if I preach a message and no one comes, well, that's about me. It's not, but that's what I think. Right? Uh, so I've gotten over my stuff. You get over yours. As God, I pray, speaks through me to you, get over yourself. Get over, listen, because here's what we do. And it's already starting to happen. I just said we're going to have a, a, you know, an, a response time, and you're like, well, I'm not going. <laughs> and here's why. I don't need it. Okay, that's our adversary telling you a lie. I'm not worth it, another lie. Here's the stupidest one. Someone will see me. What? Who cares? Who cares who sees you? This is the other one. Oh, I'm in the middle. I'll have to crawl out past people. Okay, we crawl out past people all the time. It's fine. Everybody okay with that? If you're on the ends of the aisles, look down your aisle at all the other people and say, it's cool. If you need to go, go. All right, everybody just say that right now. All right. I'm going to call you to respond. I've been, man, I've been on my knees uh, wrestling with it myself and asking God to speak to us today. So let me preach the message that brought the biggest recorded response of any message in our Bibles. Um, usually come to Easter and we kind of center around the, the Bible passages that tell that story. I'm going to move forward 50 days to the day called Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50th and it just means 50 days. It's a word that was used in place of, of the Jewish Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks was basically celebrated every year at the beginning of the wheat harvest. It was 49 days, seven weeks. That's why I call it the Feast of Weeks, the Week of Weeks. It was seven weeks after Passover, which is when Jesus was crucified. And, uh, and so we're there in Acts chapter 2, if you want to go to your Bibles, on the day of Pentecost, the day of the Feast of Weeks, uh, when, when the church gets its start. We're sitting here, courtesy of this day in our Bibles. And Peter preaches the first sermon ever heard by a church. And on that day, it tells us at the end of chapter 2 that 3,000 people responded 
Now, I don't even know if that's how many are here. I know it's not. Anyway, uh, that's a good day. And, and uh, so I thought, you know what, what, what would I preach that would create a response? I'll just preach the stuff that pre- uh, Peter preached. That's a hard word to say. Peter preached. And so we're going to go there today. He says a lot. I'm not going to say it all because I don't have time. But the story opens. Peter's with all of his friends uh, up in this room waiting in Jerusalem. It's been 10 days since Jesus has ascended into heaven. He told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to empower them for what came next. The Holy Spirit came over that room. Peter and his friends, Galilean fishermen and the like, stumbled out of that room and they started speaking languages they did not know, right? Uh, If you're like me, you know like three phrases in Spanish, maybe a couple words in French, but you got English kind of down. Is everybody with me on that? Uh, These guys spoke Aramaic, maybe a little bit of Hebrew, but they certainly didn't know all the languages that they were empowered to speak. And so people who are in town for this feast, Jews from all over the world who spoke these dialects were drawn as a crowd. Thousands were like, what's going on? In fact, they asked that question in chapter 12, or chapter 2, verse 12. They were all amazed and perplexed, it tells us. And, And they said, what does this mean? And then Peter launches with his message. Now, I'm not going to preach these verses because he does a, a masterful job going back to the prophet Joel in the Old Testament and explaining, you know, Joel called this shot. Uh, he said that, uh, you know, our sons and daughters would speak in different languages. And, and those who were listening should know that if they came out speaking these different languages, what followed was from God himself. Pay attention. And then he kind of launches with the sermon in verse 22. I'm going to preach you three verses here, three verses later, and then we're going we're gonna to move as God leads. Everybody with me? He says in verse 22, men of Israel, this is where he really starts, men and women of Israel, those present, hear these words. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Take a breath. And he's going to go on from there. But let me just kind of tell you where Peter's starting. He says, hey, guys, Let me tell you about Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he was born, Nazareth. He was a man, just like you and me. He was uh, a perfect man. He didn't go on to explain this, but he he lived this perfect life. and, And in coming as a man, the Son of God became three things. He became our perfect representative and substitute when it comes to satisfying Uh, the the wrath of God, the penalty required for sin. He took it for all of us. And he also became our perfect example. He lived just like the rest of us, except he was without sin. So Jesus was a man. He was one of us. But he was more than just a man. He was all God at the same time that he was all man. Don't have time to get into all that. But uh, he was enabled by God, as the Son of God, to do things, miraculous uh, signs and, and works, mighty works that led to deeper meanings. I don't know if you've been around the Bible. There's lots of stories of miracles. Jesus starts with turning water into wine. He goes on to feed people and large crowds, heal and cast out demons. He walks on water. Some cool stuff. Spin the wheel. Pick your favorite. But all of them were pointing to a greater truth. Now, my favorite part of that first uh, verse that I'm preaching here, verse 22, is that Peter finishes with, as you yourselves know. I think that's an amazing little aside. Because he brings out the fact that in this crowd uh, were certainly people who had 
hung out with Jesus and followed him around Israel in the three and a half years that he was doing all of these mighty powers. They had seen with their own eyes, maybe even experienced in their own lives, the grace of God through Jesus. Perhaps many of them had uh, stayed in Jerusalem and had been there 50 days ago and, and had been in the crowd as he walked into town on that, uh, you know, entry Sunday, Palm Sunday we call it, and, and they hailed him with palm branches and said hallelujah. Maybe they'd been in the crowd four days later, five days later, when uh, they asked Pontius Pilate to kill him, to crucify him. But wherever they'd been, whatever their experience was, they knew Jesus, just like so many of you, it's not your first time hearing about him. Huh. Heard of him. Used his name when I was angry. But do you know him? Do you understand that he's given you grace? And he does it over and over and over again, and you uh, account it to something else. I went over to my uh, son's apartment yesterday morning. Um, uh, They live together in an apartment up here in Sefner, and uh, they had the the foresight and the wisdom after their uh, original vacuum had been given to them by their landlords uh, and broken, they got themselves their own Bissell. And so they they built their Bissell, and uh, they had been using it uh, to no effect. Uh, and so uh, their mother came over and wanted to kind of start cleaning the house because, wow. And so uh, <laughs> she tried to use the vacuum, and she's like, this isn't working at all. And I looked at it for a second, and I says, well, not all the parts are there. Like, there's a hose that goes from the base of this vacuum to the canister, and it's just not there. That's why nothing's happening. I said, has anybody seen this hose? And, and my buddy, my son, Ben, he goes, he goes and finds the hose, and, and we, we, he put it in, he, he installed, he's like, yeah, this is, looks like it goes here and all that stuff. And bingo, bongo, we've got suction, right? I mean, we're, you know, we're vacuuming, you know, everything. And, and Eleanor, my lovely bride, was there, and she said, well, isn't that great your dad fixed stuff? Because if you've heard any of my stories, not usually the case, right? I'm normally the breaker of things. But uh, my son, and rightly so, said, well, I built the whole thing. Yeah, okay, but just the one part. And, and that's what typically happens in the world. As we come to our lives and we're like, I built the whole thing. Uh, not noticing or not uh, giving credence or, or credit uh, to the times where Jesus in his grace provides for us. And he makes the hose go into place. Are you with me? The verse that follows says this, verse 23 It says, and this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Uh, This Jesus, you crucified. He's speaking to the crowd. He's like pointing fingers. You, you crucified him through the hands of lawless men. Now, it tells us two important things there. First of all, what had happened with Jesus had been planned way before it happened by the God who is in charge of everything. It was God's idea. Once sin came into the world, for Jesus to come. He actually talks about it at the garden, prophesies it for the first time there. As he says that the, uh, the, the snake would strike at his heel, but he would crush his head. And, and now in his time, uh, he's brought it into being. And, and, and so what happened with Jesus, his coming, his dying, his rising again was all according to the will of his father. But it was caused by the fact that humans in their sin had brought death to life. And in fact, uh, he wasn't just pointing the finger at the crowd that day who were probably literally complicit in the actual crucifixion of Christ. 
He's very careful in phrasing things. He says, you crucified him through the hands of lawless men. He points at the Jews and he says, you were complicit. And he involves the Gentiles and says they were complicit. And what he did there was a spiritual all y'all. He says, it's everybody's fault. And he, you can move forward a couple thousand years. Everybody raise your hand for a second, if, if you will. Just stay with me. Theoretically, theologically, we're guilty of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You can put them down. Verse 24 says this. The good news is that God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Just a couple things of note before we move on. Peter, speaking to this crowd, says, hey, man, he didn't stay dead. Jesus rose. God raised him up. Why? Because of course he did. Was God's will going to be somehow thwarted by a little thing called death? Heck no. That might be the only time I've ever said that in a sermon. (laughs) There's no way that he was going to let something as small and insignificant as physical death stand in the way of his plan being realized. Paul writes it this way at the end of that chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? There is none. Because the God who created and sustained the world planned the death and the resurrection of his son and accomplished it so that his plan could move forward. God raised him because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Now, the phrase in between is the one I want to just kind of focus on for a second. It says he loosed the pangs of death. The Bible uses some of these kind of weird word groupings that don't necessarily translate for us in English as well as maybe they could, and so they bear some explanation. It's a beautiful, poetic, theologically fraught statement. It says loose there. It's a Greek word that means untied or unbound. And so in God's resurrecting uh, Jesus from the dead, the, 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 the bindings of sin, the bondage of sin for us is loosed by our faith in him. But he says the, the pangs of death. Now, that's a Greek word, odonos. It means uh, birth pains, like pains associated with childbirth. Never experienced them, seen them happen. Uh, But he uses that word to describe what happened in the death. And so he makes this crazy assimilation. He says, basically, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have the birth of a new life. He talked to a guy named Nicodemus earlier in his uh, time here on earth, Jesus did. And he said, you've got to be born again. And here in his death and resurrection, that birth is made possible. God raised him up. It was he alone who could do so. Oh, I forgot. Someone else put their faith in Jesus Christ as I talk about it. But what Peter's pointing out is something that maybe is a phenomenon in your house. I'm the jar opener in my house. Is anybody else the jar opener? Uh, Usually because I'm the one who put the jar lid on way too tight, especially like two liters. Anybody ever closed a two liter and been like, there's no way CO2 is getting out of this thing, right? But then pressure builds up inside there. It makes it almost impossible. You need like a wrench and a, you know, air. So anyway, uh, uh, but they hand them to me. My father-in-law, Eleanor, uh, they'll hand me the jars. Here's a new jar jam. Uh, jam a jar, whatever this is. Uh, will you open it? And it's my job to go and make sure it opens. When it comes to 
spiritual life. None of the other religions work. None of the other religious leaders can open the jar. God, through Jesus, has brought new life, birthed new life from death and given us away. Uh, he says some more things, and I want to skip down past them. He talks a lot about David and where he's buried, but go down to verse 36 if you're following along in your Bibles, where he kind of summarizes and says this. Peter says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Again, hits his highlights, right? God has made, it was his plan all along to do what's happened, right? You have caused, you crucified him. It was your sin that brought about the death. But God worked despite our sin to bring about salvation and hope. And he's given us Jesus to be two things in our lives, our Lord and our Christ. That sounds a lot like Christmas. Anybody remember what the angels said to the shepherds on Christmas night? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is what? Christ our Lord. Those are the two titles that get thrown around the most in describing who Jesus is. Let's start with Christ. I used to think it was Jesus' last name. Like his mom and dad were Mary and Joseph Christ, and they were the Christ family. And so, of course, his name is Jesus Christ, like my name's Mark Saunders, right? Uh, I found out early on that's not the case. If that's what you thought, let me help you. Christ is a title. It's the Greek word Christos. It's synonymous with the Hebrew word Mashiach. I love doing that. Uh, which means Messiah. Messiah was uh, an anointed one, an appointed one, especially in terms of his saving ability. He was a liberator. And in the Old Testament, the Messiah of Israel had been long prophesied. Uh, Israel was waiting for a, 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 a ruler, a general who would come and emancipate them from those who oppressed them. Uh, but what they got was a carpenter's kid from Nazareth who died on a cross. And so many walked away from that day, his death, just wondering, uh, what have we been following? They didn't realize that um, the, the ruler part of Jesus, which is always in place, was going to actually take place on earth at his second coming. That's coming, everybody. Jesus is going to sit on a throne. Uh, Y'all get ready, right? But in this first coming, his purpose was the salvation of mankind, to seek and to save that which was lost. And so he came as the Christ, the anointed and appointed one. If you're here this morning and you haven't received him by faith, that's what I've been praying you do. Because he alone is the only Christ for all of humanity. Maybe you haven't chosen him yet out of ignorance. You just haven't understood or been clear on it. Maybe it's been ambivalence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's been obstinance. You know the truth. And it's just way more for convenient for you right now to be able to not believe that so you can do what you want to do. But whatever the case, Jesus came, Jesus died, and he rose again so that he might be your Christ, your Messiah, your Savior. John wrote it this way. One of the disciples said it this way in his gospel. He says in chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own, that's us, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who do or did receive him, he, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what it is for him to be the Christ. Now let's talk about what it is for him to be Lord. It's the Greek word kurios, a word most widely used in the time that Peter was saying it, uh, for Caesar. 
Caesar was the master of masters, the king of kings. He was the say-so in the culture. And so he was called Lord. But he says to this crowd, he says, hey, Jesus came to be your Christ and he came to be your Lord. If he's going to be your savior, it only makes sense that you'd make him your Lord. It says in verse 37 that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It's one of the only times that phrase appears in your Bibles. It was like pin drop, right? Like I, I picture Peter being this master, you know, Holy Spirit gifted communicator and he just kind of let it lay out there. He let the truth of what he said set in. It cut the people to the heart, and they had a second question. It had started with, what does all this mean? And it concludes in verse 37 with them asking Peter, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter tells them. Peter says, this is what you do. You repent. You repent. That's kind of synonymous with what I was just talking about. You make Jesus your Christ. Repenting means leaving what you were doing and heading in a different direction. It certainly applies to sins, leaving sin behind and then the old life that you've you know, been with you know, or been doing without Jesus, but in, in new life, heading in a different direction. Relinquish all the things that you, know, you thought were working and choose the one that does. Anybody going to be hanging out in one of these situations here in a little bit? You got kids going to run around trying to find a bunch of these? right? Spiritually speaking, we all have eggs that we kind of, you know, uh, invest ourselves in. There's the, I'm a good person egg. That's what'll make me righteous before God. I'll just be better than my neighbor. And boy, am I, right? Or or there's, uh, you know, I'll I'll go to church uh, every once in a while and, and that'll be enough to hold them off, right? Or, this is my favorite, Or I'll just create the system that works for me and I'll tell God how we're going to work together and and he'll have to accept it. We've got all these eggs. And what Peter is saying to these people, he's like, repent. Let go of those ideas that don't work and put all of your eggs ah, in one basket. (laughs) And that basket is our Savior, Jesus, who is Christ the Lord. He says, be baptized in his name Man, there's so much there, I don't have time. But baptism is way more than just getting wet in a tank of water. Baptism is basically realigning your life. When you get baptized in someone's name, there's all kinds of implications there. It's, it's living under his authority, acknowledging his claims about life, subscribing to his doctrines, engaging in his service, and relying on his merits, not your own. In other words, it's, it's about making Jesus Lord of your life. If we do those things, this verse says, if you repent and are baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will receive, as another way we can put it, the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who will guide you in life. Oh, that's my hope for every crowd I ever preach to. I mean, we can come at it from different ways, through different passages. But my simple hope is that for those who God has made, for them to know him through his son, Jesus Christ, to make him their savior and Lord. I'll just wrap this 
portion up by just uh, describing something that happened a couple weeks ago to me for the first time. I uh, got to go uh, before my trip to Uganda to train some pastors. I I spent uh, six or seven days in the United Kingdom with my uh, wife, Eleanor, and my mother. My mother's whale or Welsh. My mother's Wells, Welsh from Wales, and she'd never been. And so this was kind of a trip for a lifetime. We saved up all our points and all that stuff, and we took mom to Wales. Uh, I decided it'd be a great idea for me to drive. I can attest to you that it's not, please, save yourself from that mistake. Uh, I rented a car, and my first driving on the wrong side of the road, on the wrong side of the car, was leaving the rental area at Heathrow Airport and getting on a six-lane highway in England. Uh, That I stand before you right now is the proof of God's existence. (laughs) I am a living miracle. My wife will attest, she sat in the seat next to me praying the whole time. It's disorienting, way more than I thought it would be. Just confusing beyond. And they don't have stoplights. They do these things called roundabouts. Come on. I mean, literally, every day, just white-knuckling everywhere we went, right? That got progressively better. Maybe over time, given enough reps, I'd be decent at driving on the wrong side of the road, but it would never change for me that the original plan is to drive on the left. Are you with me? I think so many people don't understand that God created them to drive on this side, and they've settled for driving on this side. Now, it looks like life, feels like life. We're still going, but it's not how it's meant to be. God created you for himself in his image so that you might have life with him and have it to the full. Sin has robbed you of that, but Jesus bridges the gap. And so it is that we're coming to our time of decision. I'm going to have my sister Darnisha sing the song that kind of inspired this series as God prepares your hearts and I get ready to direct you in the directions that he would have you go. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal and forgive. He bled and died to buy my pardon an empty grave is there to prove my savior lives because he lives i can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth living just because he Can I have you stand with me? 
Here's what I prayed for these moments that are about to happen. We're going to sing again, but I'm going to ask you in this time if God's prompting you, and I prayed that he has and would in every one of our lives, that if there's a decision that you need to make, that you'd walk out of there and as the counselors are going to join me in this service, kind of make their way right now even uh, to the front of our stage and to the sides. You can talk to one of our our friends here and, and just tell them what's going on and pray with them. You can come and kind of kneel at our steps and just kind of have a time by yourself, whatever. But here's the three, the three invitations that I want to give us today. If you've never experienced resurrection through faith in Jesus Christ, if it's been because you've been just ignorant of that truth or ambivalent about that truth or just obstinate in receiving that truth, my, pr- my prayer for you today is that you would make Jesus your Christ that you let them save you. Come and talk to one of these folks. They'd love to tell you how. If you uh, have once believed, but you've been gone for a while, it's been a minute, now, you, you haven't certainly been making Jesus the Lord of your life, maybe it's time, I know it's time, for you to decide to follow him. Come and pray that that might happen. And some of you are sitting here and you're like, Mark, uh, I love Jesus. I just want more. Hey, what a great thing to do on an Easter Sunday, but to walk an aisle and pray with someone or to pray by yourself for that more and ask God to take you further in life with him. We're going to sing. And as God prompts you, you move. It's your move. May God lead us in this time. Because he lives